Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest time has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, New Hope. Uh, please join me and pray with me one more time as we uh, get ready to dive into God's word together. Uh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to yet again allow your words to be scattered into our hearts. I, I plead with you, Lord, that it would bear fruit. I plead with you that the work of your word today would be the softening of hearts, not the hardening of hearts. So, Lord, help us. Be with us as we read things together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. www.moviespoiler.com www.moviepooper.com www.spoilme.io I don't really know what IO is, but I'm sure the youth do. There are some websites that you can go to to spoil movies if you haven't watched them yet. Why these websites exist, I don't know. But perhaps for some people, knowing how a movie ends or knowing every step of everything before actually watching the movie provides comfort for them as they experience the movie, already knowing what to expect to come. I'm not a fan of Harry Potter. My wife is a huge fan of Harry Potter. She's read every single book Multiple, multiple times. She's watched every single movie multiple times. And for the past couple of weeks, Carolyn has been re-watching these same movies. And even though I have no interest in watching this movie with her, I sat alongside and I did, because I'm a good husband. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, as I began to watch these movies with her, and particularly this week, and particularly in the last movie, I found myself captivated. And more surprisingly, I found myself asking Carolyn all types of questions about the movie and the characters and about what will happen while the movie was actually still going on, scene by scene. I was asking all the types of annoying questions that usually warrant someone to say, dude, just watch the movie. You guys know anyone that's like that, that, that you watch movies with? I'm not usually like that, I promise, but this one I was. For some reason, I couldn't just watch the movie. These questions keep, kept coming up in my head, and I had to know, Carolyn, is Harry Potter going to be okay? Are Ron and Hermione going to survive? Carolyn, 
Voldemort is not going to win, right? Voldemort's going to die. Those are actually the questions that I asked, or some, some form of those. Why? Why was I asking these kind of questions? Why was I so anxious about knowing what would happen moment by moment? As I took some time to think about it a few days after, I realized that it was because I felt unsettled and I wanted to know if everything is going to be okay or if everything would be okay. The more I was told and the more I knew about how the movie would end or how it would unfold, the more peace I actually felt just sitting there and enjoying the movie. Of course, this in no way is any suggestion to watch a movie. But I use this scenario to get us to consider this thought. How might our lives change, or how might our lives be changed, if we had some kind of insight into what was to come in the future? How might we live differently if we knew what we could expect? How might we live if we actually believed in all that God promises for those who trust in him? And to frame it into the context for our text today, How might knowing and believing what Jesus says about the kingdom of God actually shape how we live today? Today we'll look at uh, two parables that Jesus uses to teach his listeners then and to us today about this very kingdom of God and what it is like. And in light of what Jesus teaches about what the kingdom of God is like, my hope is that we can gain insight for how to live in this reality today. Because the reality of the kingdom of God is that it's already here, meaning God's redemptive rule and reign through Jesus Christ is present and active right now in this moment. You and I can experience the joy of being citizens of the kingdom of God right now. But at the same time, it is something that is yet to fully come, meaning that it is also a future reality that God will make all things new when Jesus returns again that glorious day. This means that all the remnants of Satan, sin, suffering, and sorrows will one day be no more. You can bank on that. I love how Paige Brown describes the concept of the already and not yet kingdom of God. As she says, before Jesus returns and completely and finally and irreversibly establishes his kingdom, he is gradually driving out the adversary while he is patiently and lovingly claiming people for his own and using them in his purpose to renew all things. New Hope, are you living in this reality? If you haven't already, would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 4, 26 through 34. I'm not sure if they're going to be up there, but I'll be flipping back and forth between a couple pages. So um, if you could be there with me, that would be greatly appreciated. And please hear as as I read these words of God. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Right off the bat, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to the very ordinary process of a man scattering seeds on the ground and the process of those seeds growing. This process of scattering seeds is meant to trigger in our minds the parable that Jesus taught the crowd just a few paragraphs back in chapter 4, the parable of the sower. 
If you remember, in that parable, which Rob preached on three weeks ago, the seeds that were sown in the four different types of soils represented the word of God. Similarly, in this parable, I believe that the seeds that the man scatters here is the word of God. The kingdom of God is spread through the scattering of the seeds of the word of God. And so this man goes out to scatter these seeds on the ground. Not for no reason, but I believe that this man wanted those seeds to take root and that he had faith that they would produce a harvest. Once the seeds are in place, he does something very, very, very ordinary. The text tells us that he goes to sleep and then he wakes up. He goes to sleep and then he wakes up. And then he goes to sleep and then he wakes up. The repetitive nature of this ordinary process is communicated by how he sleeps and rises night and day, which signifies that time is passing since the seeds have been scattered. In addition to the time passing, the fact that this man sleeps and rises night and day is also meant to emphasize that he is not doing much to contribute to the growth of the seeds. He just scattered them. But sure enough, while the man sleeps night and day in his bed, the seed sprouts and grows in the ground. And how did the seed do that? This man doesn't know. The text says he knows not how. If you were to go up to this man and say, sir, how did this harvest happen? How did these plants come about? How did you get this much harvest and grain? The man would just say, I'm not sure. I, I, just, I just scattered the seeds. Verse 28 says that the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The words by itself, as you can see here, in the Greek language, it's trans translated to automate, where we get the word automatic. The earth automatically produces the full grain in the ear, or the seed acting of its own will or of its own accord produces the full grain in the ear. The man had no idea how the growth took place. All he knows that is that it took place, and when the harvest was here, he knew it was time to go and reap. This is what Jesus is saying his kingdom is like. This is how Jesus is saying his kingdom works. As God's words are scattered into the world or into the soils of people's hearts, there is a certainty that they will sprout and grow. There is a certainty that they will, in God's own process, produce a harvest of God's own purpose. The kingdom of God will, by itself or automatically, grow as the word of God is scattered into the world. So to go back to our question from the beginning that I asked that we might have forgotten, how might knowing and believing this about the kingdom of God actually shape how you and I live today? How might knowing and believing that the kingdom of God will accomplish what it is set out to do actually shape how we will live in the reality of this kingdom now? There are two applications that I want to direct our attention to from this text uh, before we get into the next parable. The first one is, uh, we can receive God's words confidently and patiently, trusting God to complete his work. We can receive God's words confidently and patiently, trusting God to complete his work. 
I want to direct my attention to some of the youth here that have already, that recently went to Camp Impact, and maybe some that have gone in the past. It's been three Sundays since we've been back from Camp Impact, where we had the Word of God scattered all over our hearts for a whole week. Twelve different sermons on twelve different passages, twelve different times where you gathered in your small groups to discuss those twelve different sermons on those twelve different passages, 25 different scripture-saturated songs that we sang for a whole week, four different memory verses that you probably can still remember through Maddie's voice. And in addition to that, all the other times that you had one-on-one sessions with counselors and adults that were looking to pour into your souls these seeds of the Word of God. You may not be feeling the same way that you felt when you were at Camp Impact, but you can know that these words that have been scattered in your hearts are not for waste. What's more important, though, is beyond that short week that Camp Impact is, you have a chance at the very least once a week to gather with us here at church to receive God's words confidently and patiently that they have the power to change your hearts. Week in and week out, even if it doesn't seem like you're gaining anything from gathering with the church, on a Sunday, my encouragement to you is keep coming, keep listening, keep asking, keep seeking Christ, knowing that putting yourself in the position to receive God's words may be the means which God uses to work in you. The same actually goes for all of us here today. Confidently and patiently keep trusting God, believing that he will work through his word. Galatians Chapter 6, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So my encouragement to you, New Hope, is do not grow weary of doing the good work of being in the word daily. Even if some of those days you walk away feeling like you got nothing out of that time in his word. Do not grow weary of doing the good work of gathering weekly with God's people to receive his word through singing, praying, preaching, and communing together. Do not grow weary of doing the good work of allowing fellow brothers and sisters to bear your burdens and to point you to Christ, especially when you would rather isolate yourself and be distant. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up receiving God's words in these various ways. The second point of application, uh, first one was we can receive God's words. The second is we can give God's words confidently and patiently, trusting God to complete his work. What's remarkable about this parable is that the man who scattered these seeds didn't know how the seed would grow. He didn't know how long it would take for the harvest to come. But it seemed that he had trusted that something would happen as he scattered these seeds on the ground. I want to ask you guys a question. Um, Have you ever seen a tree or a plant growing in a place that you would have never guessed? Like those trees that are growing literally in the side of a building or popping out of a sidewalk, maybe something like this. Those aren't trees, but, well, I once saw, I literally saw a tree on the side of a brick building in Philadelphia one time, and I thought to myself, how in the world did that seed get there? How in the world did that seed stay there? And then how in the world did that seed grow and sprout 
And how in the world did it turn into this tree? It's, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes we hold back from scattering God's word in certain places or to certain people because we presume that God can't work in that place or that he can't save or change those type of people or those people. We can give God's word confidently and patiently, trusting him to complete his work in the unlikeliest of places. And before we presume that the unlikeliest places are exclusive to places like North Korea or people like staunch atheists or whoever else comes to mind, maybe someone in your family that's been rejecting the gospel over and over again, we need to reflect on our own lives. If you would consider yourself a Christian today, you must know that even you were once an unlikely place for the word of God to take root and grow. Yet here we are, and thanks be to God. I heard a story one time, um, I forget who told me the story, but it was when I was in Taiwan. There was someone that had come to faith uh, through, through literally this text like this, right? So he was in the mountains going on a hike, and one day some, somebody was passing him by. In Taiwan, they just have all the hikes are steps. They just walk up steps to the top of the mountain, okay? This man was just going up the steps, and another man was just coming down, and the man said, hey, man, Jesus loves you, and he just walked away. He just walked down the street. And years and years later, when this man who had heard those words was going through stuff in his life, it just popped into his mind that this man one time told him that Jesus loves him. So he had a burning in his heart to, to find out who is this Jesus that loves me. And he knew that that Jesus was found at churches. So he just entered into a church and he asked the first person to tell him about who Christ was. And through that long process, God used that to save this man the unlikeliest places. Now a word for the parents very quickly. Um, I want to encourage parents to not give up on faithfully sowing the seeds of God's word into your children's hearts. Be patient in your effort to love your children in this way. If we look at this man in this parable, no amount of this man's own effort could have helped him cause these seeds to grow faster or in a way that he wanted them to grow. And perhaps this is why he could sleep and rise night and day. He simply scattered the seeds and trusted that God would do what he would want with them. He didn't try to force. He didn't go over to the seeds and dig it up to see if they were growing. He didn't do anything extra. He simply scattered the seeds and he trusted that God would do something with it. You can trust, that Jesus, you can trust what Jesus says about what his kingdom is like. And you can confidently and patiently give God's words to your children, faithfully trusting that God will take care of what he will take care of. Uh, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's move on to the second parable in Mark chapter 4, 30 through 32. And these are God's words. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Um, I have some mustard seeds here. I'm going to do the old pass it around. And 
you, it may not make it to the back because someone might drop it and you will not find it. The seed is exceptionally small. And just so you know, these are American ones because they're from McCormick. Sharon Mergel has told me that there are seeds that are more local to the region of the Middle East or India that are actually smaller than this. Um, feel free to pass them around. But if, if you can't see the seed, if you can't really see the seed, you, you don't really have to pass it around, but you get the point. You can't really see the seed, right? Trust me, if you got closer, oh, they're like falling all over the place, they're scattering the seeds. If you can't see the seed from afar, don't worry. When you get up close, it's nothing too remarkable. You can't really see much when you're up close. It's tiny. And this is why Jesus was using this seed for this parable. Unlike the first parable where the focus is on the certainty of the growth of the scattering of the seed, in this parable, the focus that Jesus brings to our attention is the contrast between the initial size of the seed, this itty-bitty one, and what it grows up into. So this seed becomes this 10 to sometimes 20-foot large shrub that you see in this picture here. From this little tiny seed, something like that comes about. And this is what Jesus is saying his kingdom is like. This is how Jesus says his kingdom would come and one day fully and permanently establish his rule and reign. The kingdom of God would arrive through an itty-bitty baby born in a manger, not in a palace. And as Isaiah 53 would prophesy, this baby would grow up with no form or majesty that we should look at him, meaning he wasn't very impressive at all. He didn't look like someone who was worthy to be a king. This supposed king, Jesus, would be despised and rejected by men, known as a man of sorrows, known as a man acquainted with grief. And this supposed king would not be regarded with any respect. We had esteemed him not. And very much unlike a king, Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, as he suffered the humiliating death by Roman crucifixion on that wooden cross. Nobody expected that Jesus would be the king through whom the long-awaited kingdom of God would come through. But this is what Jesus is saying the kingdom is like. This is who the redemptive rule and reign of God would come through, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Much like nobody would expect anything large to grow out of a tiny little mustard seed, nobody expected that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would be, by the way, be the, be the way that the kingdom grows. And perhaps this is why only a few found it, and many missed it. Perhaps this is why the majority of people who witnessed Jesus' miracles and heard him preach still walked away from him because he didn't fit the mold of their expectations. And perhaps this is still why those who find him today are few and those who do not are many. Why? Because maybe some of us still have expectations of what we think Jesus should be like. And the moment we find out that he isn't who we thought he was, we walk away looking for another kingdom as if there was another kingdom to turn to that could save our souls and change our lives for the better. How many have rejected Jesus and his kingdom because of what he says about money and possessions is too hard to submit to? 
How many have rejected Jesus and his kingdom because it might lead to being rejected by our family or by our friends? How many have rejected Jesus and his kingdom because it is incompatible with how you feel marriage should actually be designed? These are genuinely difficult truths to grapple with. Ones where what we would expect to be good need to be challenged with what is actually good. But if this unexpected Jesus truly is who he says he is, if he truly lived the the perfect life of obedience to God on our behalf and then died the death that we deserve for our sins and not his, and if he truly rose from the dead conquering death, and if he truly promises to return one day to finally and irreversibly redeem all things as he establishes his kingdom, if this is all true, then he is absolutely worthy of our trust. His kingdom is absolutely worth submitting to, however unexpected it may seem to us today. Uh, One commentator says about the kingdom, its appearance may be characterized by weakness and apparent insignificance, but remember the mustard seed. The day will come when the kingdom of God will surpass in glory the mightiest of all kingdoms. So this brings us to the last two verses of our text for today. Please turn with me to verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This portion of Mark ends with the reintroduction of a key command that is repeated all throughout chapter 4. Along with the content of what the kingdom is like, which we begin to see in chapter 4, beginning of it, Jesus carries his teaching with the command to actually hear what he is saying and to pay attention to what they are hearing, as we heard through Robert last week. Verse 33 says that Jesus spoke the words of his parable to the crowd as they were able to hear it, but not everyone who heard what Jesus said actually heard what Jesus said. Some, as the saying goes, heard it in one year and it went out the other. Or in Jesus' words that he quotes from Isaiah, some may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand. There is a reality in which all that Jesus has said today will go in some of our ears and then out the other. Or that instead of drawing us closer to Christ, there is a reality that these words actually may drive us further away from him, hardening our hearts. I skipped over explaining verse 29 um, from the previous parable, but there is a hard reality that we must address that serves as a warning. I hope you will have ears to hear. The harvest that this parable talks about in in the first parable does not necessarily mean that every single seed of the word of God will bear fruit of belief in Jesus and in his kingdom. In other words, there is a very real sense that as the words of God are scattered into some hearts and into some places, they will be rejected. And in turn, it may actually harden hearts and not soften them. Commentators believe that, or there's one commentator who says that in reference to this harvest, this parable is linked to an Old Testament passage found in Joel chapter 13, verse 3, which is projected over here. It's the same language. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And we think that's, that's all good news, right? It is, 
But hear these next words. Go and tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their, is, for their evil is great. The time of harvest, though it is joyful for those that are in Christ, is also a time of judgment. And Jesus, the righteous judge, must do what is right at the face of those who go on rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. Pay attention to how you hear. Give thought to this Jesus who is calling you to his kingdom. But again, if you go on rejecting his word and rejecting him night and day, in the end, you will get what you want. You will get what you've been desiring all your life. You will get an eternal life apart from his good and gracious care. Are you hearing the things that Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God? Do you understand it and do you believe it? I plead with you to have ears to hear that these are the words of Christ. I plead with you to look to the realities of the kingdoms of God and to repent and believe in his gospel. If you have no idea what any of that means or what I've said at all today, but you want to know, I plead with you to turn to you, someone next to you and ask them, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? I plead with you to come to talk to me or any of the elders or anyone, any of the leaders here, to just ask them, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? I'm pretty sure more people would be glad to share that. If you look back at Mark 4, 10, in your Bibles, after Jesus tells a parable of the sower to the crowd, there were those around him, in addition to his disciples, who asked Jesus about the meaning of his parables. And you know what Jesus did to those that came to him and asked him about the meanings of his parables? Jesus explained it to them. So as we conclude with verse 34, where Jesus again is privately explaining everything to his disciples, you and I can be encouraged to know that the one through whom the kingdom of God had come is willing to reveal that same kingdom to us. There's a youth in our group uh, who, upon reading Ephesians chapter 1, really, really struggled with the concept of predestination. Um, for some of the youth here, you probably know who that is. But he didn't stop there. What's been encouraging to me and to the rest of the youth group is that the struggle didn't cause him to walk away or to reject that hard passage. You know what he did? He actually pressed in harder. And he sought to know and to understand. Like a pebble in someone's shoe, he sought to know. How does this make sense? How can God be good if this is true. He asked almost every single adult that had come to give their testimony on a Friday night this very question, what are your thoughts on predestination? And he wasn't asking that to be a troll or to disprove it. He genuinely wanted to know how do we as Christians understand predestination? And even when he went to camp, he sought to ask his small group leaders the same questions and by God's grace, there was a man who gave him a private one-on-one -on -one lesson from Romans 1 through chapter 9, really helping him to clarify how to understand it a little better. If you are here and you, you can relate to this young man, I plead with you to keep on pressing in. The kingdom of God is open, and Jesus is willing to bring you in. Um, I want to end our time by, by quoting the late Tim Keller again. Seems like we quote him almost every week, and we miss him dearly. And he says, because parables and stories take digestion and reflection, 
you might get the impression that Jesus was trying to hide the meaning of the kingdom of God or that Christianity was a secret society. But just as it would be silly to hide a lamp, unless it's out in the open where everyone can see it, there's no use in the lamp otherwise. So the kingdom of God is here to be revealed. Jesus says, I'm here, I'm here to show you what it is. This is the openness of the kingdom. For as long as you are alive and hearing his words, whether that's on a Sunday, whether that's in your care groups, whether that's on a podcast or in your time in the word on your own, Jesus is inviting you into his kingdom. And all you have to do is to receive that. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for these, these words, Lord. Some of the things in your word are very hard, Jesus, and we, we need your help to, to know the meaning of them. So we ask, Lord, to give us the hearts like these disciples and some of these other early followers to desire to know what your kingdom is like, to desire to know who the king of this kingdom is. And Lord, as we do so, would you open our eyes to see the beauty of your gospel? Would you open our eyes to see the purpose for which you give us this gospel? And would you help us to live in light of these things, trusting in the future glory that's, that's awaiting us? We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.